Hello, my sweet friends, and welcome back to A Touch of Clarity podcast. I'm your host, Shelby Sharland, a woman on a mission to make you a better friend to yourself. I'm a cognitive somatic and intuitive healer, meaning I help you to align your mind, body, and soul. The intention behind the work I do is to help you to heal your past trauma, unblock your chakras, connect in with your guides and become the most awakened and abundant version of yourself. Through a range of science, holistic and energetic methods, I help others to step into a life full of love and full of intention. I hope this episode adds a touch of clarity into your day. I am honestly so excited to share today's episode with you. I have such a beautiful soul on the show. We actually recorded this episode back in October and I can't believe that it's taken me so long to edit and release it, but I know that divine timing is definitely playing out now and I need to trust that it's being released when it's supposed to. Before I share any more details about today's episode, I want to let all of you know that Mindful Not Mindful membership has had a complete transformation and makeover. And if you're unfamiliar with what this is, it is my monthly offering of a specific topic. So we all gather within the online portal each month and we share a certain topic. There's like an introduction video which teaches you about it. And then for the rest of the month, you can go through different breathwork, meditation, sound healing, journal prompts, somatic practices, plus so much more to really, really anchor you in moving through whatever that topic is. I have completely changed the structure of the membership and it is even more potent than it was before. I'm so proud of this membership and I would absolutely love for you to join. You can cancel at any time. It's super flexible, super affordable. If this is something that you would be interested in, check out the show notes and I will put the link for more information. Now, today's show, I am joined by such a beautiful soul. Her name is Selena, and she is a nutritionalist and lifestyle medicine practitioner. I am so grateful for all of the beautiful wisdom that Selena shares with us throughout this episode. We honestly cover so much and I feel like I learned more about the female body within this hour and a half podcast than I did through school. I especially love that Selena talks us through the three main changes and stresses that the female body goes through and I didn't even realize that like pre-menopause was such a thing and she actually teaches us so many tangible tools that girls or young women my age can actually start to do to really help the transition into menopause later on in life. You can just feel the absolute passion that speaks through Selena when she is talking about this work and I can just tell that she absolutely loves helping women and she loves honoring the female body. All of Selena's details will be in the show notes, so please give her a follow on Instagram or check out her website and offerings as I know that she can help so, so many souls. I hope that you really enjoy today's episode, my love. 
Hello and welcome back to another episode. I am so excited about this one and I am just so grateful for my beautiful guest today and I just think that this episode is going to help so many women and it's something that I wish more people would talk about. So I'm very grateful to welcome Selena to the show today. So Selena is a nutritionalist and a lifestyle medicine practitioner. Selena works predominantly with women going through menopause and helping them to recognize the sacredness and opportunity that this new chapter brings to women's lives. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really excited to be here and, and to be part of to be part of your your audience. I'm able to have a chance to speak to your audience. I've been really, really looking forward to this conversation. I'm really happy. Thank you. We started chatting just before we started recording and Selena was sharing so much wisdom already and I was like, no, no, pause, we need to record it because it was just so juicy. So yeah, I've had a little snippet into the types of things we're going to chat about and I think it's going to be beautiful. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. I think we're really riding on the same wave. I think we've got so much, you know, we're not 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 exactly born in the same side of the world or from the same. <laughs> we got that's, there's a connection, definitely, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And we had a little bit of technical issues on my behalf just before, and I had almost a little meltdown because I was thinking, why won't it let me log in? And it all worked out. So I know that we're definitely supposed yeah. to talk today, which definitely. is beautiful. <laughs> well, to start, I always ask my guests this question, and that is, what in your personal life is your current wellness or spirituality practice? <gasps> wow. Do you know that is something I love the word practice because I think that um, a wellness and spirituality, pra- spirituality practice is something that we have to em- embrace and allow to grow and it, I think it evolves with time but I think right now probably the the main one is self-compassion mm. I think that's really on every level I think this is something that I've discovered maybe a couple of years ago and really love to to um to work with because it's so many it works on so many levels it's about tuning into your own body's needs, um, knowing when you need to move, when you need to rest, uh, listening to to some of the cues of the of the universe of this I love following the seasons. I think the moon cycles and the season cycles, I think we are cyclical beings, particularly women, but not just mm-hmm. women. I think we all are, but really respecting that rhythm and uh, nourishing myself physically and emotionally and mentally through all those because we've got all those elements in ourselves I love to um I realize I really really love getting up early in the morning getting out going for a walk outside almost whatever the weather I live in London there are days where it is just too <laughs> wet but it has mm-hmm. to be particularly bad for me not to go out and just be out. and the nature is everywhere it doesn't mm-hmm. matter how how urban your life is there is always something that you can notice there was always somebody who's got a pretty window box or a tree that's just changed color or something like that. there's always something that you, it is everybody has a sky and sometimes if I can't find anything else and it will be what the skies what the clouds look like and that sort of thing and that really is one of the ways I connect with 
my world in the morning and um, journaling uh, and meditation are probably some of the staples that I always do. And then it's going obviously going to be food and hydration and things like that. <laughs> expect that because I'm a nutritionist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. That made my heart feel so warm then, the way that you just were like sharing that. I could see on your face as well that it actually really lights you up. Like that's so mm. beautiful. And it's something so like that we all take for granted you know I know before I really got into this field of work I would just you know be driving along or walking along and I wouldn't even take notice of the things around me whereas now I'm a lot more mindful so similar to you like you look at everything and there's so much beauty that we are too busy to notice so yeah love that yeah and I think obviously the 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 whole lockdown kind of situations really triggered that thing there's been so much and we were trapped inside our houses we were very lucky in London that we were allowed to go outside it was part of what we're allowed to do and and we couldn't go very far afield so we had to find beauty where we were we couldn't just say oh I can't go to the countryside well no Mm. you just kind of have to enjoy your local park or your your local your neighborhood so that was really and then there was so much anxiety I think that really helps you be in the moment and being in the moment is where you can always reconnect with yourself uh, in on all levels. Um, so paying attention to what's around you and looking for what's beautiful, um, mm. for what's relevant, what's important to you, you notice more of it. And I think that's a that's a really nice way to practice and to put a, have a practice that short circuits all the negative thoughts the worries the missing your family that's living far away the uh you know sometimes having the pressure some people were locked in alone we were locked in as a family which bring its own things I'm I'm an introvert um I find being with people all the time sometimes very draining even if I adore them Mm -hmm. and I found that I needed to just find ways of reconnecting with myself in another way so that was, there's always a flip side to everything, you know, mm-hmm. everything that happens in our lives, there's always some, some, uh, you know, some upside we can find, even if the, the things are challenging, there's always something we learn, there's always somebody we meet, it always pushes us to, to discover more about ourselves, so yeah. yeah wow that's beautiful because not many people can shift their mindset like that like I know a lot of people that we're so lucky here in Australia especially in South Australia we the longest lockdown we've had is a week so we're very very lucky but Mm -hmm. I know a fair few people who've been in Melbourne or New South Wales who've been in lockdowns for like 10 weeks I know that they have a real struggle with switching their mindset to that. They just are in that kind of victim mentality, like why is this happening to us and not to you and that sort of thing. So I think that's incredible and I wish more people were open to that and yeah, had the same sort of mindset as you. I think it's, you know, we, we, what we have to remind, but when you put yourself in the moment and you remind yourself, you always have a choice. Mm. wherever you are you always have a choice there's an absolutely spectacular book which I read at the start of the lockdown which is called The Choice written by a woman called Edith Eager who was um um who was he's a holocaust survivor and she was interned in Auschwitz when she was 14 I think she was really and it's her journey through that and 
and she's a really old lady and she's just published two books and she was a oh. podcast guest and for I don't know how long in, in her 90s and she still speaks to big audiences and she's she was a ballet dancer when she was growing up and she still does the high kick oh, wow. <laughs> really you know kind of you, you kind of think and she did her PhD when she was 50 wow and you kind of think you always have a choice it doesn't matter how bad things are and how that she was in a situation where things were like it doesn't get any worse I don't think mm. you always have a choice oh that's amazing mm. I love that I wrote Nothing down the title yeah I need to get that a, that is an she wrote two there's two books is that one is called the choice and one is called the gift and wow. it's an absolutely life-changing story Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. We're already we're only a couple minutes in and I'm already like taking notes. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Well, I would love it if you would just take a moment to sort of tell us a little bit more about you, what you do and what led you to this field of work. Okay. So I am, um, I've got a, a French dad and a South African mum, and I grew up in the south of France in Provence. And between that and a Greek island. And when I was in my early teens, we emigrated to, my father was an expat uh, for work. We went to live in French-speaking West Africa and in the Côte d'Ivoire. So I grew up between those three countries. So that was really interesting. It exposed me to to different cultures. And we're really, really foodies in the family. Uh, My my mother comes from a background of farmers. and my dad comes from a part of France, which is gastronomic ca- capital. So food and the table has always been a very, very big part of our family culture. And growing up in the countryside in those places, as a child, you come back from school and you sit at the kitchen table with your friends to do your homework, where, you're, where their mom or your mom or their grandmother is cooking. And usually it was local in-season produce, and this is this part of growing up and the family life really, it's a very French part of the French culture, but it evolves around the table. It's a very important, I think more than French food, that's really more where things happen. And we do like to talk about food a lot. So food was really <laughs> big and I loved cooking from a very young age. My mother hated it and I loved food. So that's how I got into cooking. And then um, when then sort of something that's one of the first events that led me to do what I do is when I was 17 when we were living in Africa I got sick with hepatitis A so um, that's something where there's no medication for it and your liver shuts down and you really feel really 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 bad and that was my first encounter realizing that if there's one part of your body that doesn't work nothing else does and you really feel very ill all over physically and mentally and it's a very slow recovery because basically um the way you recover now at the time I don't know if this has changed but you have to basically wait for your liver to recover and regenerate wow so the only way you can support that is through diet and lifestyle so there's things that you cannot eat for a whole year and you cannot, you know, put into your body and other things that you will put. And and I was very lucky that my doctor at the time, she was from Madagascar and she knew how to use certain herbs for that. So she gave me some, some 
some sort of herbal remedies which were absolutely disgusting <laughs> but they really really helped and that probably supported my recovery so I really had this connection felt this connection between what you put into your body and how well you feel from a very young age and then fast forward then you become a student and a young professional and not, none of that matters completely took my health for granted and, and I burnt out a couple of times uh, it happened twice where I really like work really 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 like the, just got into a work hard play hard kind of lifestyle and I burnt out and uh and and both times I had to come back to those kind of the, that realization and then I had my children in my mid-30s and I had them both back to back so I was pregnant and breastfeeding almost constantly for three years and I'm not the only woman who experiences that I think it's quite common and I was totally depleted I was exhausting my children didn't sleep through the night um, I had always been a very good sleeper and for me to have broken sleep was the first time I realized how sleep deprivation can really be and, and that was I was desperate and that's when I met my first nutritionist, who was an amazing woman, who was who come from the medical field, became a nutritionist and a herbalist and Chinese medicine practitioner. So she always laughed because she said like her mother, she was one of the, she, she's a really old lady and she was one of the first doctors in her generation, like sort of quite unusual for a woman to do that back then. And, and then she said, I did all of this and then I became a witch. <laughs> <laughs> And um, she still practices. She's in her 80s. And she really changed my life in more ways than one. She just gave me everything that I needed in order to have, get my energy back and my vitality. But I was asking so many questions and being so fascinated. She went like, you really need to go and study this. You need to become a nutritionist. You'll be really good at this. And... And it took a little while for her to convince me because in the beginning, I was like, how am I going to go and study? I've got two babies. Um, and eventually, I was invited to a talk on gut health, and it was a whole kind of daytime, day, whole day seminar. And the same thing happened. And the person, they both trained in the same place, and they both eventually said, Look, you need to just go and do this. So I, I walked out of there, went straight to my computer and enrolled that day wow so like I just that's you know I have to do this and it felt totally right and the more I was studying it the more I was falling in love with it I totally I just wish I'd done it sooner but yes so that's how I got to to becoming a nutritionist and a lifestyle practitioner and then the more I was in studying there, the more I was surrounded by women who kept asking me similar questions and because mm -hmm. of my age group. And, and basically, a lot of us have our children a little bit later than previous generations, and we really slide from having had our, body, our bodies, that the three main times a woman's body really changes and has stresses put on her is when we go through puberty and pregnancy and then perimenopause which is mm -hmm. really that transition time going into menopause and a lot of us have the babies then it can take up to 10 years for your hormones to settle again and by then you're in perimenopause oh wow and so the same sort of things kept coming out and the more was do you do you um, 
diving into it, the more I realize it's so uh, not understood and not really catered for. And, and those are, those are not things you can fix with a pill or some surgery. Those are things that you, you can really do so much with through lifestyle and diet and how, and, and diet is part of your lifestyle. Mm. And, and what you eat is part of your lifestyle. So how you nourish yourself physically, emotionally, and mentally can make a huge difference in how you feel and how well you are. Yeah, so definitely. <laughs> oh, wow, what a beautiful story. And I love hearing your background because I wondered, I obviously knew you were from England, but I was like, there's an accent. Like I wasn't, <laughs> I thought at one point I was, when we were like voice memoing and chatting, I thought like South African kind of yes. came through, but I was like, there's a, like a twang to it as well. So that yeah. makes total sense. And it's beautiful yeah, it's that so it all started yeah. early. Yeah. So yeah, no, the South African came from speaking English at home. Mm. Uh, I never lived there. I've only lived in yeah. England. And obviously, the, the South Africans think I sound so English, but I don't. <laughs> That's so true. Oh, I love that. It's so nice to hear your journey and what led you to this work. And it's so true. You just you know when it's like meant to be because you just feel so in alignment, and you can just like time just goes so quick. That's how I feel with my work, and it sounds very similar yes. with you. Um, But I would love it if you wouldn't mind explaining a little bit more about exactly what menopause is and kind of what it means for women that are going through it. Because I know we have a very basic understanding, I think, in society. So I would love it if you could kind of give us your take of it. Yeah. So menopause is, first of all, the thing I must say, menopause is normal, like Mm. puberty is normal. And it's a complete part of a woman's life. And it's something we can prepare for. It can happen at any time. Um, and it can be natural, can be surgical. So some women uh, can, ex- I know someone who's experienced their menopause in their late teens. Oh, wow. Yes, it can. Ha- it's very rare, but it can happen. Or there's some women who had to have surgery for something and then they were menopause of the next day so they didn't have perimenopause mm-hmm. and they were thrown into that in the next day very traumatic because most of the time the medical uh, sort of body focused on the thing that needed to be treated and not not on how she was going to feel afterwards and that can be quite sudden and also most general practitioners are not trained at all in menopause it's an mm. option if I remember well in medical school and there's a few hours of training on that for those who choose to do it even gynecologists and obstetricians are mostly tra- they mostly focus on the fertile years of a woman that's really what they the main focus is some of them more have specialized in that but most of them won't have and there is um, an amazing woman in, in England called um, Louise Newson, who's now created a course for uh, medical professionals to uh, educate themselves on menopause. So what it is, it's menopause is basically what happens when your ovaries stop producing estrogen. That would be like a sort of a textbook answer. Uh, so when you your ovaries don't produce estrogen anymore, your period stops, and then you're no longer fertile. That's kind of a, the short version. That's the, kind of the general understanding of mm-hmm. it. But 
it's actually a lot more than that. And and when we're talking about menopause and how it, all the symptoms that come with it, we're really talking about perimenopause, which is a time when our cycle starts to change um, and is no, our hormones are no longer as regularly cyclical anymore. And that can be 10 years before. So the average age for menopause is 51. Mm-hmm. And if you think that perimenopause can be up to 10 years, women in their early 40s can be perimenopausal. Yeah, wow. I didn't realise it so 30s, That's what I was explaining earlier. Um, that, that's, that's sort of uh, what happens then. But what's really important to know is that estrogen is a very, very powerful hormone that actually doesn't just deal with our fertility. It actually has... We have receptors for estrogen in every single cell in our body, in our brain, on our skin, our bones, um, digestive system, our immune system, our cardiovascular system. It has a role to play in every single function of our body. That's why perimenopause and menopause can have such an impact on women. And then, obviously, um, there's a very... um, it's it, for some reason it's not talked about most of the time our mums would not have talked about that to us um we probably the first generation where mums told us about our periods never mind mm. um never mind that and, and for a lot of our life we focus um we worry about when are we going to have our period is it going to sort of be that day when we have our party is it going to be during a holiday we worry about that and we worried about not getting pregnant where we don't want to. And then there's a time where we get worried about getting pregnant because we really want to. And there's a lot of talk about that. And the whole menopause thing seems like, oh, maybe there's something that happens much, much later when you're nearly dead. Anyway, you're old, mm. it doesn't matter. And <laughs> that's really, really wrong because we spend up to half of our life in menopause. Oh, wow. At least a third of our life will be spent in menopause. It's a really important period of our life. It's a huge chapter. Oh, yeah. And you, like you said, it's never spoken about. Mm. I used to always think that it was, yeah, just something that happens like in your 50s for a little bit and then you're on the other side of it and you're fine. Like that's crazy to think that it happens mm. for so long. Now I feel like I need to go and like hug my mom a bit more <laughs> and be nicer <laughs> oh, to my mom. Sweet. Yeah, but you know what? I, I think... You know, when we have children, we realize, oh, my goodness, you know, they say, especially when your children are, children are teenagers, you kind of realize, oh, my goodness, I really need to go and hug my parents for this. <laughs> and the same thing happens when you're going through menopause, you kind of realize, oh, my God, they must have been so tough. Mm. And at the time, it wasn't talked about. It was. That's so it was true. Just one yeah. of those things. It was called the change and it yeah. was it's sort of embarrassing to discuss and and it's mm. one of those two things like oh are you on your period or are you menopausal it's like kind of oh um you know it's a bit of a put down really that's so true I don't think there's much sensitivity around either of them and it's like I know men wouldn't cope I don't think not the men in my life anyway <laughs> I think oh, if you experienced it it would be so bad <laughs> And the thing is that I, I like the fact that this is something where the conversation has been open now because it really affects everyone. Mm. Um, and I love the fact that it's quite 
quite a lot of men now that are really embracing the conversation because when their wives are going through menopause, they're affected as well. Uh, it affects, the, you know, their the happiness too. If, if their wife is going through a tough time or mm. cannot face work or, or that sort of thing. And in the workplace, if you are an employer, you're going to have women in, in that are experienced and competent and really at the top of their career who are now experiencing something, going through something which is really challenging for them and challenging them in the workplace. And you might be losing a very important part of your workforce because you didn't think about addressing that. I mean, there are whole plans in, in you know, about women when, you know, pregnancy and postnatally and, you know, um, maternal leave and things like that. And nothing at all for something that every woman's going to experience. Not That's every so woman's true. going to have a baby, but every mm. woman's going to have menopause. Wow, I never even thought of it like that. That's such a good point. We are so advanced in, like you said, the stigma around everything and us all talking about it more. And I definitely agree, but we still have such a long way to go when you do think about it like that. Yeah. Wow. God. Yeah, and it's, and it's, yeah, go ahead. No, you go. <laughs> yeah, I think women in, in my generation, so I'm 51, and women of my generation, we grew up taking a lot of feminist um Sort of privileges acquired for privilege for granted the right to have contraception choose when we have a baby when we don't and you know there's been a fight for equal pay there's lots of things that we came into adulthood having the previous generation had fought for us mm-hmm. and nobody and now it's our fight to you know make people aware and 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 about menopause and about that part of our life and then you know how society needs to look at that so it's just another chapter oh I love that liberation I think oh that makes me feel like you're all like part of it together you know like I know in a lot of work like you've got the women before us and in the work that I do we often call on like their spirits and everything Mm -hmm. so when you were saying that I was just visualizing you know all the women before us and then like your generation and then it'll be my generation like it's so beautiful I love that that sounds so beautiful yeah yeah, I love the fact that this is something we can also share and pass pass down and, and definitely legacy. Oh, that's beautiful. And I would love to know um, when it comes to your experience of working with women who are going through menopause, what are the most common symptoms or the impacts on their life that you commonly see? So the most common symptoms that and that that those ones are well known are um <clears throat> hot flashes and mood swings the mood swings mm-hmm. are the ones are the things that kind of can be sort of talked about in slightly negative thought but the hot flashes and the mood swings and the the change like the the the, the change in the in the cycles of not having a period anymore and it's very those are really not the only symptoms those are, and as some women won't even experience that Mm-hmm. So those are the ones we assume that's that's what menopause is, and a lot of general practitioners, a lot of doctors, that's what they think it is. Mm-hmm. And if you're not if you're not experiencing those, they will say, "Oh well, you can't be. Oh, you're too young to be perimenopausal, or it can't happen." That is not true. There are actually 36 recognized symptoms oh, of wow. perimenopause, 
And some of us in in the health world really believe that it might be more. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, I just want to say that I really define myself as a complementary therapist, not as an alternative therapist. I really, really, I've said a few things about GPs, but when, you know, when they're on the, my GP is on the right page and she's a phenomenal ally mm-hmm. to have a conversation with. And it's great when they're on board. And what I want, what I love what Louise Newson has done is she's bringing them on board to mm-hmm. make it more of an everybody can needs to be part of it so to answer your question the main other symptoms that I find in my practice is um anxiety Mm. anxiety is a really big one and like really strong pangs of anxiety for somebody who's not necessarily naturally anxious sometimes but anxiety depression can happen as well so the lot like not just the irritability but actually moods like and in the workplace it can translate as a complete loss of confidence for Mm. women who have to then been super competent really on the ball total achievers so that's something um that you can experience and and another one it can be brain fog is another one I, Mm. i see people talk to me a lot about like suddenly i mean suddenly i'm like i can't remember the name of one of my best friends, you know, it's like <laughs> that. Mm, so suddenly your, your, your cognitive function completely changes. Mm. Other symptoms can be dry eyes, uh, digestive changes, bleeding gums, uh, uh, sleep changes. Mm. That's a big one as well, like um, difficulty sleeping. And that's a very big one because when you don't sleep well, a lot of other things don't work. Sleep is, a, is, again, we sleep for a third of our lifetime. There's a reason for it. And that the quality of our sleep is fundamental to our health and to our physical and mental health. Um, there are too many. There's, there's so many symptoms. But <laughs> I think well, as like some of the main ones here, um, obviously, um, you see skin changes. It's really suddenly very, very dry skin. So there's just just a change in that sort of thing, and obviously changing in the changes in the cycle. So the cycle mm-hmm. might get shorter, or longer, mm-hmm. or less regular, heavier sometimes. So as soon as you experience changes in your cycle, and there's a few other of those things, that's when you start to think, um, well, maybe there's something there. And then there's a really nice questionnaire that you can you can find uh, most places and um, that's one i'm offering as well to to my uh, community you just you know just look at all the all the symptoms what of the 36 symptoms and might th- there might be things that like you suddenly go yeah there's a lot of those things i'm taking mm. and i had no hot flashes no I mean, none of the changes in too many changes in cycle, but I ticked 26 out of the 36. Oh, wow. Another thing is bladder control that also suddenly you need to pee more often and you can't hold it in the same way you used to. That can be also very distressing for mm. women. Um, so that sort of thing that changes. Yeah. yeah, It sounds like so much like that's, yeah, full on. And like it's crazy to think that this is something that a has just been like normalized as something to kind of suffer in silence with mm-hmm. and be 
like yeah something that we literally have no awareness around like I would love to have known more about this like when my mum was first going through it because Mm -hmm. you know me and my brothers for example like my brothers would come to me and be like oh what's wrong with mum today like she's moody and this and that Mm -hmm. and like obviously me being a woman anyway I'd say oh leave her alone like you know you don't know what's going on whatever Mm -hmm. but if we'd known that and even had like a family meeting and just like kind of spoke about that sort of thing I think it would have been so beneficial for all of us Mm because I know you sometimes think it's personal towards you if you know your mum acts a certain way or you know a female in your life so it would just be nice to be like oh I'm gonna have a bit more sensitivity and give a bit more comfort around that it's yeah I'm so grateful that you're sharing all of this now and how old were you when your mother was going through menopause I reckon when you're so my mum is 53 now so I would say she's probably been experiencing it for 10 or so years the first like sort of starts and then maybe the last like five years is when like the hot flushes started but it's really interesting little things you were saying like she started getting really anxious and my mum has never been an anxious person Mm -hmm. and she started working in my wellness center with me and I would say like oh can you serve this person and she'd get really like no no you you put it through the f-force machine like I don't want to and she was never like that she was very confident and and Mm -hmm. I said to her one day like where's where's that kind of coming from and neither of us can really put like our finger on it Mm -hmm. and even down to dry eyes I'm gonna tell her because she started wearing contacts and and she's like oh my contacts must be making me have dry eyes and this and that and the skin as well she's had beautiful skin forever and recently she's actually come out in this really it like looks like boils on her face almost and she was going to all these specialists and they were giving her all of these creams and antibiotics and different things and no one could understand or or tell her where it came from and then one day I think she was sort of doing her own research and she came to me and she said I think it's menopause like I think this is where it's come from Mm. so hearing you say that I'm going to literally say to her afterwards you need to listen to this podcast (laughs) (laughs) oh that is that's like can you imagine the relief it can be to just go if you just knew all that is just the one thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and the thing is that the reason I was asking is because very often when we're going through menopause, our children are teenagers. Mm-hmm. So they're going through their own thing. Yeah. And that's quite, you know, that that's can be very true. Yeah, that's that's a challenge too. It sounds for both because we both got brains that are going. <laughs> knows uh, there's some phenomenal research that's been done now on the brains of the uh, doctor um dr mosconi i can't remember her first name she's phenomenal and what she's explaining is that what happens exactly at at the same thing that happens in puberty happens not this it it happens in in perimenopause your brain is rearranging itself Wow. So when you're a little baby, you, you, your brain is tuned in to do certain things. It does, it, you need to learn how to walk. You need to learn how to use certain things. You need to learn how to read, write, speak. Mm. And then when you get to puberty, there's all parts of your brain that are not obsolete. You don't need them anymore because all those motor kind of learnings and the language learning, all that you've done, so that some of those pathways don't are not needed anymore. You need new ones. <clears throat> So your brain is rearranging itself, and that's why it's certain things don't make sense and teenagers do strange things. But we think it's normal. So it's puberty. Mm. Mm-hmm. And when you're going through perimenopause, the same thing's happening. Your brain 
which was now tuned in for maternity. You had different parts of your brain that were managing some of the hormone cycles and some of the some of the systems that you needed to to be able to procreate and to be able to raise your children. All that you don't really need anymore. Mm. So that's dismantling itself and it's rearranging itself. And then when you come out to the other side, you've you've got like a brain that's now set up for other things, which is what we're talking about like afterwards if you want but you're ready for the next chapter and during those changes it is really distressing because you don't understand nobody's prepared you for it and there's only been sneers about it like oh gosh she's menopausal and it Mm -hmm. wasn't just like oh like with puberty oh but it's not it's just perimenopause Mm, that's so true wow like, yeah, I don't even know what to say to that, but it's so true. She's just going through menopause. It's okay. Mm. She'll be fine. You know, that's so um, true. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And and um, I would love to kind of talk about that. Like, so I know a lot in your a lot of your work is focused around it being like a new chapter for women and something mm. to kind of embrace and I guess yet not have such a negative connotation towards. Um, So I know a lot of my clients are currently going through menopause. So I would love to just know what is kind of the best way that they can change their mindset and sort of turn it more into a positive and I guess kind of embrace the changes instead of resisting them. Okay. So I find that we we live in a, in a very patriarchal and ageist society um, <clears throat> a few other women like me who working in that field, when they did some press releases or published things, when they were looking for images to illustrate the article or illustrate the piece that they were doing, they could not find any images they could identify with. Say they were going to do something about fitness in, you know, in menopause, for example, the only image, images it could find would be young women with lovely pink dumbbells are working out or geriatrics mm. but no one who looked like them mm. um and there's a big kind of kind of gap there and in and in this patriarchal age society the role of women for fertility has been defined by our fertility mm. and that's it so when you know, and so the sexiness and the glamour and all that's all got to do, and like the whole Hollywood kind of image of that, it was the same thing. So it was always this thing: oh, past the age of forty, you know, like actresses, it's all over, uh, and things like that. And you can think like forty. That's only halfway through your life. Wow. You only really, I mean, think of somebody like Dame Judi Dench. I mean, her best work she did mm. after that. I mean. And my goodness, what a, what a loss it would have been not to have her around in, in, in the roles that she's had. And Meryl Streep, and I mean, you know, you, the list is long, but you kind of think we cannot just be defined by that. You're no longer fertile, you're, not, you, you're worthless. And I think a lot mm. of us have been conditioned by that. But what I believe is that aging, first of all, is a privilege. It means we made it this far. Mm, I love that and also menopause is a privilege it really is we once we get through to the other side we're no longer burdened by 
whether we're going to get pregnant or not, whether or not the whole baby thing, we don't really worry as much as about are we going to be sexy enough to attract a mate and all that sort of thing. We're in our prime. We, we've got the most life experience. We've made peace with the things we know we're never going to get around to doing. Like, will I ever be a ballet dancer? I don't think so. <laughs> you know, am I going to get to the moon? Very unlikely. And these <laughs> were those things. Am I going to marry, you know, George Clooney? No, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Um, you know, there's that. You kind of put that to bed. You kind of go, that's fine. And 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 there's so and and but you still have like all that wisdom. It's all that. There's this this thing called I'll, I'll come into it like the grandmother hypothesis. And of course, there's some women. Are not grandmothers, not everybody has children. So I prefer to call it the wise woman hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are very, very, very few species that live beyond the fertile years. Actually, there are only humans, orcas, beluga whales, and a certain and, and Indian elephants. Oh and wow. That's it. They live past our fertile years, and there is a biological reason why we do it. Those are all societal matriarchal societies. Mm. Elephants are matriarchal, whales are matriarchal. And that means the leader of the group are the elderly, no longer fertile females. Oh, wow, that's beautiful. And the role in in traditional societies of the older women, like if we look at the Hansa, which are the most studied um, hunter-gathering societies because they still live the the traditional hunter-gatherer way, post-menopausal women spend 37 hours a week foraging. They are productive. And they look after the little children whilst their mothers who are in 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 the physical prime of their life, that they're strongest, that they're most energetic, when they go out and do other tasks and they look after the children whilst the young the women who are breastfeeding have to rest because if you don't rest you don't get your milk dries up so mm-hmm. rest and spend time with the babies so in order for society like that to survive for the for the women to be able to look after the next generation you need those elderly women to guide them mm-hmm. and to give them a break and to make sure, and did you know that in hunter-gathered societies, only 7% of the calories that are eaten come from the men? Oh, wow. The hunting part. Only 7%. That's crazy. I never knew that. Wow. And it is thought that the hunter, the hunting part, of course, you need the, the protein that we know that evolutionary-wise that our brains have have matured in the way it has because of our ability to to hunt and and mm-hmm. have a, a good quality protein. But the 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 status of the hunter hunting is more of a status thing. The man who hunts when he brings a beast back, it has to be shared amongst the tribe. So the best hunters are better look after looked after mm-hmm. because they're the ones who produce the best, you know, the, the most protein for the tribe. But the most calories consumed by the community is produced by the women. Wow. Including the postmenopausal women. So our role after our fertile years is fundamental to the survival of the group. Oh, I love that. I'm going to say that to any of my clients now yeah. who are going through yeah. it. I'm going to say. Yeah. 
Yeah. We are leaders and we are in our prime. We are there to guide the way. Like in the beluga whales, they're the ones who guide the way for the hunt. Mm-hmm. It's That's the older incredible. females. Oh, wow. And I know we just switched gears to food, so I think it's perfect. Um, I know a lot of your work kind of focuses around nutrition and its connection to menopause. Mm -hmm. So I would love it if we could just chat about the importance of nutrition. Yeah. So nutrition, if you think about it, other than the air we breathe, food is the most significant interaction we make with our environment. In the same way oxygen enters our blood flow through our lungs, nutrients and all the molecular building blocks that form us that allow us to produce energy in every cell of our body come from the food that we absorb into our body through our digestive system. In particular, certain things that we can, we are through our DNA, there's certain proteins and elements that we can make and others mm-hmm. we can't. So vitamins is anything it's called essential. So an essential fatty acid or an essential amino acid, those are all things that we need to get from diet. And without them, we can't thrive. And if we, so they, that needs, we need to bring those, they, they need to come from externally to our body. Our body can't make them. That's why they have that name. And when as, as I said, when, when, when our estrogen production reduces, um, it affects every system in our body. And some of the, the issues that you're going to find post-menopause will be uh, that suddenly we catch up with men in terms of cardiovascular disease. We will have, obviously, one of the most commonly known things is osteoporosis. Uh, our muscle mass is going to reduce and our immune systems are going to be less performing. Um, and obviously, there's going to be cognitive, um, you know, cognitive ability, if it's not maintained, that can be diminished as well. And there's a lot that can be done through diet and lifestyle in order to protect us from suffering from those. I mean, we all have to die from something, you know, eventually. Mm-hmm. But... There are society. If you go back to societies like the blue zones, and um, the blue zones are the regions in the world where people live, uh, where you have the most centenarians who live a very good quality of life. They're not just alive, but they're living, mm-hmm. and they have they they they're not. They all have different dietary traditions and different religions and different kind of cultures, but they all have things in common. And one of the thing they have in com- things they have in common is that they all eat a whole food diet that's predominantly in season, and they don't overeat. Mm-hmm. Um, they eat, they they eat to satisfy their needs, uh, but. So they eat when they're hungry and they stop eating when they're not hungry. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have a diverse diet, mostly plant-based and mostly made of whole foods. And a little bit of high-quality protein from, from um, you know, locally produced farm animal or wild animal. And there are some that are vegetarian. None of them are vegan. Um, and but the, yeah, so that's the main um that's the main thing they all have in common. Um, yeah, so that's that sort of through through nutrition is something isn't every time you eat, you have an opportunity to do something good for yourself. 
three mm. times a day or twice a day or five times a day, whatever you decided to adopt as a lifestyle to, and as, as a dietary lifestyle, you have an opportunity to put inside your body something that's going to benefit you on a cellular level. Mm. That's why it's important. Yeah, wow. It sounds like more of like an act of kindness compared to just something that we have to do, which is kind of how society's seen it. Like that's how I've seen it for so long. It's like, oh, I don't have time to eat. Like I'll just grab something on the way or, you know, those sorts of things. But it's so true. If you become intentional with it, it is purely like an act of kindness that you can show your body every day. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I would love to know if you have any sort of tips or tricks that women can do leading up to, you know, becoming menopausal or, you know, the 40 year old mark that they can kind of start to change lifestyle habits. So uh, I'm going to start with two lifestyle things, which I think are fundamental, which are really for me, the biggest stumbling blocks I encounter when I'm working with my clients, even if it's They're the big stumbling blocks in order to improve diet. One is to learn to manage your stress Mm -hmm. and identify where stresses come from. Our bodies and our our nervous system are very, very well equipped to deal with acute, intense stress, sort of a, a momentarily thing, something that happens like really scary. You know, Mm -hmm. the house is on fire. (laughs) Yeah. We recover from that very quickly, metabolically, nervously, that we recover from that very quickly because traditionally that was the only stress we dealt with. Either everything was fine or we had we were attacked by, by a wild animal or by a foreign tribe or there'd be something really intense. Chronic stress is a much worse problem because it's very insidious. A lot of us don't necessarily recognize we're in it very often when I speak to my clients they they say oh no no I'm not stressed I'm fine I've got an easy life yeah because you've got a roof over your head and three meals a day and money in the bank and doesn't mean you're not and and chronic stress is really it erodes our health quite significantly it will it will put us in a state of mild anxiety permanently and that really reinforces the pathways in our brain to deal with with um you know put us in this fight and flight kind of state constantly mm-hmm. um and when you're not when you you've got this balance your fight and flight is the state that you're in, you're in in order to be phys- physiologically ready for an attack to run away or to which means it shuts down your digestive system it shuts down, it, it limits your, your ability to process information well. It will shut down your uh, reproductive system because when there's an attack, that's not the time to make babies. Particularly chronic stress, which mimics times where there would have been famines, where there mm. would have been war that doesn't end, for example. Um, so those are not times where our bodies should be trying to reproduce. That's one state. Now, the rest and digest in opposition to that is the time when our bodies really relax. It can sleep. It can, you know, our digestive system and our digestion is also elimination of toxins. All that functions very well. And our reproductive function functions very well. And there is no in-between. 
It's either on or off. You can't be a little bit of one, a little bit of the other. Either you're in one or the other. And when you're in a state of chronic stress, then you can't be in rest and digest. And rest and digest is also cell re regeneration, which means the maintenance of your um, mu muscle mass, the maintenance mm -hmm. of your skeleton, uh, the way your, your brain functions and produces information. So stress for me is a really key thing that we need to address. And stress can be a little bit addictive as well because it gives you this little kind of, oh, this <laughs> kind of push to get things done. I certainly have been very guilty in my youth of of utilizing stress as a as a thing to propel me because adrenaline is also mm. part of it and it's very addictive and the other thing we need to know about um stress and estrogen is that as a uh, we need estrogen even after the menopause and men also have, they don't have ovaries and they also have estrogen. So there are other glands in our body that produce estrogen. And one of them is the adrenal gland. And the adrenal glands also produce estrogen. But because the stress response is part of our survive, immediate survival mechanism, when you're, when you're stressed, your adrenals, the, 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 the pathway, the biological pathway to produce estrogen is the same as the one that produces cortisol. They're made from cholesterol and cortisol will always prevail. So if your body needs to choose between making cortisol or estrogen, it will make cortisol. Mm -hmm. And that's how we end up as postmenopausal women with fat around the middle. Yeah, wow. Okay. So managing stress and learning to compensate for stress by having meditation practices, getting a massage, knowing when to rest, taking a break, giving ourselves permission to rest, mm -hmm. having boundaries, saying no, those sorts mm -hmm. of things which we really need to learn. And as women, we are not taught to do, men do it much better than we do, to know that's, you know, my time and really, really having good self-care practices is really important. So that's one thing we need to start doing. The second lifestyle thing which ties into that is really important is the quality of our sleep. Mm. And getting enough good quality sleep. So... The reason why that's important, sleep is the time in, in, in the 24-hour clock when our body, uh, where we get cell, that's when we detoxify, we have cell regeneration, we process emotions. And when we don't have good quality sleep, our mental health will suffer, our stress resilience will be far less because it's a form of stress. And obviously, that's when we're putting ourselves in a situation where we can accumulate or put ourselves on the path for chronic illness. So managing our sleep and good, having good quality sleep is a pr huge priority in life. Very often, we sleep less, and there's a lot of badge of honor. Like People go, oh, yeah, no, I only get five hours of sleep. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's, it's completely counterproductive. Mm. And... The, the two things dietarily that are really important to um, to avoid if you want good sleep, and that, that I'm not going to be popular when I say that, but it's alcohol and caffeine. Mm. Yeah. 
Um, caffeine has got a half-life of six hours. So say you, this is your, uh, I mean, you have a cup of coffee mm -hmm. at eight o'clock in the morning. So six hours later, that will be two o'clock in the afternoon. Half of that caffeine is still in your brain. And then six hours later, by eight o'clock in the evening, a quarter of that caffeine is still circulating in your brain. That's assuming you only had one cup that day. Mm -hmm. the, they've even done research on people who can process caffeine very well and they can drink coffee before going to bed and they'll still fall asleep. Even those people, their deep sleep, they lose, they lose, I can't remember the exact percent, I think it's a third of their REM sleep. Basically, it's like aging themselves by 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they're still falling asleep, they're sleep, still sleeping, but they're not getting the good quality regenerative sleep that they need. And the same thing happens with alcohol. You fall asleep, but actually you're not getting that good quality deep regenerative restful sleep and then what happens is that you need a coffee in the morning to wake mm -hmm. up and you perpetuate that cycle so i love catholic coffee i drink mm -hmm. coffee but i only have one in the morning and i would say mm -hmm. definitely get into the habit that post midday zero caffeine Mm, that's such a good point because everyone drinks I don't know if it's the same in England but in Australia it's such a social thing so it's like constantly you're just drinking so much coffee so that's yeah. a really really good point I've never heard someone explain it like that so yeah thank you I'm taking note of that I'm pretty good I'll have my one in the morning and then sometimes I will have one but I contemplated like before the call because obviously we're coming up to like 8 p.m my time and that's when kind of like my brain fog sort of sets in yeah. And so I was contemplating, oh, should I have another one? And I didn't. And now I'm so glad that I did it. <laughs> so one of the best antidotes for brain fog is water. Mm. If, you're, if you're a younger person and you need to study through the night or you need to work on a, on a big report, just buckets and buckets of water. It will keep you really, really brain sharp. And that's another one. Get used to hydrating. Good hydration, it will keep your brain sharp. It will help you to produce energy at a cellular level. We need the molecules that are in the water. We need the, we need the H2O to break down. Mm -hmm. H2O, there are two, you know, there's, there's oxygen in there. That's also part of it. And the hydrogen and oxygen we really need to produce energy. We need it to flush out toxins, which means, oh, we have more energy. Um, so that hydration, that really, really maintains our, our brain function. And that, mm. that alertness and that ability to concentrate and have clarity of thought. So that's another one that's really important to get used to. So those are one. Uh, obviously, another lifestyle thing, if you're smoking, stop smoking, because that's really, 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 um, but any sort of menopause things, it messes with your skin, it messes with your digestion, it messes with your... Um, immune system it messes with your liver big time it completely depletes your vitamin c so you know do yourself a favor give up smoking no vaping none of that that just needs to go that really needs to go um mm -hmm. even social smoking if those are that's really one of the most toxic things we can do if mm. um oh. yeah i mean my generation probably did it more than yours but uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think you shared so much wisdom then. I think, like I said, I'm going to be taking notes when I edit this podcast <laughs> later. Like it's, yes, filled yeah. with so much. Thank you. And, and then when it comes to diet, um, really um, increasing, the one thing that I find is very often missing in the diet is we don't eat enough fiber. Um the, the dietary recommendations is 30 grams of fiber a day. Ideally, I would want, you know, I'd like to be more like double that. But mm-hmm. most people do eat less than that. 20, 20 grams is about average what people eat. So really re- removing refined foods from our diet. Now, I'm not saying you're not allowed to eat pizza or cake or all that. But those are really small little kind of treats that we have once in a while the main the main bulk of our diet should be whole foods and whole grain uh, mm-hmm. i am really not a i don't belong to any dietary church of any kind um i think that's a personal thing but really having the rule of thumb is having good quality protein with every meal one small mm-hmm. portion doesn't need to be a lot Having good fats, stop being scared of fat, but good fats are really important for our brain function, for our energy. Things like olive oil, uh, grass-fed butter, nuts, seeds, avocado, fish, um, grass-fed meat, uh, Mm -hmm. ideally, if possible. Um, So those will really, really support um, a lot of your metabolism and your brain function. The the protein are the building blocks. And then, then half of our plate should be vegetables, non-starchy vegetables. Mm-hmm. As many different colors as possible. You guys are entering into spring now, so luckily you're going to have all the lovely fruit and mm. the colorful things. And really, uh, I love eating seasonally. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the more diverse um, our diet in that way, the, the healthier our gut microbiome is. And the, our microbiome is like our, it's like an organ. It's a few mm. kilos, right? We have more bacterial DNA than our own. Oh, wow. And that, the, having a good variety of well-looked-after good bacteria, that's what supports our immune system and our mental health and our metabolism and our ability to absorb all the right nutrients from our food all the time. So this will give us our energy and our vitality. And that is fundamental as we age. Uh, really, mm. really important making sure our gut health is there because if the gut health is there, is is optimal, is optimum. We eliminate our toxins, we absorb all the good things, and then everything works. So wow. and that's definitely something we see in um, in the blue zones. And whole grains, let's not be afraid of eating, you know, whole grain foods like like our quinoa, even and brown rice and um, and all the pulses and um, legumes. They're very mm. rich in fiber. They're rich in protein. They've got lots of phytonutrients in there. The more colorful and the stronger the colors, the more phytonutrients and antioxidants you have in there. And antioxidants is what, Oxidative stress is what makes us age. Mm. That's the main. That's the main thing that's caused by by cigarette smoking is oxidative stress. So antioxidants are the most famous ones. We know vitamin C, but there's a lot. There's a range of them, um, and the vitamins is C, E, and A, and mm-hmm. 
uh, and there's a whole lot of like resveratrol and a lot of long Latin sounding names, but uh, <laughs> just eat plant foods with lots of color. Don't worry about <laughs> it. That's fine. And that, that's, that's really, really uh, important for our immune system health. And our immune system takes care of everything. Our immune system's everywhere. Mm. It's on our skin, it's in our eyes, it's in our mouth, it's in our blood, it's, it's everywhere. And that's what, those, the, the, that's what keeps us healthy. And we oh, all wow. see that, like we've all been very, very aware of that with COVID, mm-hmm. you know, the importance of having a really well-functioning immune system. That's what keeps us young. Mm, that's very true. And like you said, I think finally people are prioritizing that, which is one mm. good thing that has come out of COVID, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that you've mentioned to me when we were just chatting, like, when we weren't recording, we were just sort of getting to know each other. You mentioned um, that you help women to future-proof their health um, Mm. so that they can do what they love for longer. And the way that you worded that, I just absolutely loved it. And I thought that it was so beautiful. So I just wondered if we could just briefly touch on kind of what that means. Well, um, let me give you a little example in terms of future-proofing our health. One of the most well-known phenomenon with our with 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 postmenopause with menopause is osteoporosis now once we've reached menopause we cannot increase our bone mass we can't we can maintain it mm-hmm. and that means that we want to have the healthiest, the most well-established bone structure before we hit that time because oestrogen plays a very important role. So looking after a musculoskeletal system, for example, by the main things is vitamin D. So getting out in the sunshine when it's there or taking a supplement when it's not, monitoring those amounts, exercise and um you know, eating the right amount of protein is going to give us the, the, the muscle mass that's going to give us the bone structure. It's, it's the weight of our muscles and the strain of our muscles on the bones that force them to uh, replenish themselves because our bones are also our calcium reserves. And because our heart needs calcium to pump, if we are low in calcium, the bones will come second, the heart will come first. So we will just strip the calcium out of the bones to look after uh, the, 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 our, heart, our pump, the, the, the heart. So looking after your bones, making sure you're eating, you're getting the right amount of minerals, you're, and the, the bone matrix is not just calcium. So, but having enough calcium in our diet, without taking calcium supplements necessarily, that can be detrimental. But having enough calcium in our diet, and that doesn't have to come from dairy, there's a lot of plant-based sources of calcium that calcium is everywhere so it's having a nice variety a varied diet like i said before that will maintain your bone mass if you've got good bone mass then uh, you don't have to worry about falling and breaking and mm. that sort of thing for that you need good muscle mass for that, to, to, to maintain your muscle mass after the age of 40, you need to work a little bit hard at it through diet and through exercise. So doing weight-bearing exercises and moving. I believe in joyful movement. I don't believe in sort of doing exercise you don't like. You need to feel good through it. And also having that, that, that a good range of good quality protein in your diet. 
another thing which we were talking about earlier, and I know that's what you were referring to, is something that's emerged in the last, that very recently in the news. There's a big call to make um, um, your menstrual cycle health a part of a health marker. Of course, that when we're looking at a menstrual cycle, as we were saying earlier, very often we think about it in terms of it's a bit of a it, it's it's a bit of a pain, mm-hmm. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> it's 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 an inconvenient thing in life, or um, we're scared of getting pregnant, or we're worried about getting pregnant. But we don't look at it in terms of an indicator of our general health. If a menstrual cycle is regular, the blood flow isn't neither too much nor too little, um, that it doesn't cause us too much discomfort and we're not suffering from it too, too, you know, that is a little bit uncomfortable, that's probably normal, but it becomes like a huge painful thing and, you know, like you're out of play for a whole week or you don't have one. Those are all very important indicators of your general health, it could be an, uh, uh, an indicator that your metabolism isn't functioning very well, or that in the case of PCOS, for example, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Sorry, I've used the acronym. Um, that you that your hormonal uh, balance is out of whack, that you're not that your detoxification system is not working very well, that you're recycling estrogen instead of eliminating it. It can also have an impact on your mental health because stress and anxiety can shut things down, as we talked about earlier. So reproductive health is a very strong indicator of your general health. So in our 40s, we still, 30s and 40s, we still have a cycle. Looking after that, making sure that that's, you know, when we when that's optimized, Generally speaking, we know we're in good health. And there's a very strong correlation between women who've had issues around that and how how hard perimenopause is going to be, how much it will affect them, and how healthy they'll be postmenopausal. So yeah, that's wow. a really important thing to look at. And all mm. the things I said about diet, they really factor into that, like good fats, a lot of fiber. Fiber will help you eliminate. It helps you um, have good digestive health. Um, good good quality protein lots of plant-based things it's quite simple it doesn't need to be very complicated Mm. we don't need to measure macros and calories anything like that it's just generally speaking i like to approach diet through what we can add to the plate and that we usually crowd out all the crap Mm. and we want to take crap with this in that there's it's an acronym for something Mm. out of our diet i can't remember the acronym basically it's ultra processed foods mm-hmm. um, things that have been so manipulated and unalterated they've got nothing to do with the original ingredient they were made with mm. and a lot of when you go in a supermarket almost everything that's in a packet that's what it is so that's what you want to have much less of in your diet mm-hmm. but you know i eat crisps and i will have these <laughs> biscuits and i will have you know it's not it's not being and I'm not I'm very against the diet police at the same time. Mm. You know, we need to live our lives and have fun and enjoy things. Sometimes I'll say to some of my clients that if you're very, very stressed and very miserable, it's no point worrying about how perfect your diet is going to be because it's not going to do much for you. <laughs> but at <laughs> the same so time, 
when you really, really, you know, when you, if you don't notice, like when you're on holiday and really relaxed and really happy, it doesn't matter what you eat, you feel good mm. and you have energy and all of that. Yeah. So we can't separate the mind from the body. They are together mm. and they function in the emotional and mental and physical side of us and the spiritual side of us. Those four bodies can't, they, at, at the cellular level, they're entangled. Mm, that is so true and I love that that you're like not super strict with everything and you're like human and enjoy it like that's beautiful yes (laughs) this has been amazing yeah and our our bodies we have another thing I like to always remember our bodies are an instrument they're not an ornament oh wow I've never heard that that's beautiful I love that I came across that recently somebody said that to me said that is so true that's the instrument for us. And as we get older and we worry a bit about the wrinkles and the sagginess and the da, 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 mm. they are an instrument. Just look after it really mm. like, you know, there are the, they're the only home we have. This is what you inhabit mm. for this, this time on earth. Make sure you look after it so you can experience life in a joyful way, mm. that you can enjoy the things in life that you want to enjoy, that you can have the experiences that you want to have. That's what it's for. And that's what you love after it. Definitely. Oh, what a beautiful way to end the episode. I'm so grateful that you added that in there. That's so nice. Um, But I know that a lot of the listeners are going to be very grateful for this and are really going to learn so much. Mm -hmm. But just briefly, I would love it if you could share a little bit about your offerings at the moment. Okay. So as as, as, as my my clinic is now fully online, which is fantastic news because that means I can work with people anywhere like in the world, which is amazing. And that, that's that's been really exciting because I'm mm. it's allowed me to travel and it still does, even if I can't or you know, even if travel's still a little bit iffy at the moment. I mostly so I mostly work one-to-one. Mm-hmm. Um, my minimum time to work with somebody is 12 weeks because I think it's um it it that's the time it takes to really implement a protocol. I, I can give somebody a protocol, but it's we all know what to do. Okay. Mm-hmm. We all know what to do. It's building the relationship and being able to guide my clients through making the changes they want to make, layer those habits little by little and making them part of their life and supporting them right through so they can get to a place where they've learned everything they need to learn and they don't need me. They can function, you know, they can go forth without without being ha- ha- having their hand held. So that, and then I'm also very excited because I'm l- launching a group program, which is kicking off on the 15th of January. So oh, this is wow. a first, I've only just announced it now. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting. Um, so I've done groups before, but I'm just like, I kind of build on that. I like to keep my group small and intimate. So usually I work with small, I'm trying to put together people that we will always, you know, everybody will, I try and attract people I love to work with. So generally mm. speaking, the, the dynamic is really lovely. And um, and that will run for three months. Oh, wow. To extend for another three months, depending on how, how people feel and want to go further. But, yeah, so that's so – I'm going to start enrolling very, very soon for that. Um, yeah, so it's a group program that will be to, yeah, to prepare for perimenopause or to go through perimenopause for women 
and oh, amazing. to be completely ready to take on the world for that really next chapter of life because I think life post-menopause is very, very exciting. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm very excited to see a little bit more about that. I'm sure you'll post yeah. about it on your social yes. medias and yes, that. I'm very excited. Yes, <laughs> and speaking of, where's the best place for people to find you if so you have the an best, Instagram? The best two places to find me will be uh, Instagram and Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on Instagram, I'm at Selena Nutrition. I'm sure you can put that in the show notes. And on Facebook, it's Selena Praga Nutrition. And I haven't launched my group yet, so that's going to have it. But when the group is live, it will be in all my, you know, my bios and things like mm-hmm. that. So it will be easy to find them. And I have been dragging my feet about doing a website because <laughs> I can't decide things and I always want to make it better. And I'm that kind of procrastinator when it comes to that. But <laughs> the commitment, it will be live by the 1st of November, I promise amazing to find me online and hear a little and you know read up a bit more about me and some freebies will be there on that of course oh beautiful thank you so much for taking time out of your morning and sharing all of your wisdom I could literally talk to you for like all day I feel like I could pick your brain so I'm very very grateful for you being here thank you thank you so 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 much for having me it's been an absolute joy Thank God for the gods of technology. Technology, I am really grateful for that. All that stuff that was science fiction I was growing up is allowing us to speak across Mm. the world and communicate and share. That's what I love about this. This sisterhood that you discover Mm. as you grow into that really more female part of the world. I believe the 21st century is is feminine. Oh, I love that. I I really believe it. Oh. I think it's the new way we have to change. It's not sustainable the way that we've all been living. And I think what a beautiful way to, you know, act and behave. So I think that's great. Yeah. Sharing from the place of abundance. The more we give, the more there is. There is enough for everybody to Mm. go around. Um, As long as there's creativity. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. I love it. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you so much. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. It's been a real joy, a beautiful way to start the day. Thank you so, so, so much for for having me and um, for this conversation. I loved it. Oh, it's been beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed creating it. Remember that you can't rewrite your past, you can only recode your future. If you want more information on the work I do, please visit my website www.atouchofclarity.com.au or come over to my Instagram at a touch of clarity. Please remember to subscribe and write a review as it means so much to me. Have a beautiful day and I really hope that we connect again soon.